I'm giving up, giving up, I need you I can't do this alone On my own, I'm a broken compass But with you, I can see my purpose I'm giving up, giving up, I need you I can't do this alone, I can't do this alone On my own, I'm a broken compass But with you, I can see my purpose my Good morning. Good morning. It is good to see you guys. Welcome to Conroe Bible Church. If you are one of our guests, we want you to know that you're most welcome. We're glad that you're with us. And I have uh, just a couple of quick announcements to pass your way. The first thing is we're going to celebrate communion together this morning. And if you came indoors other than these two in the back, um, our communion elements are there in the back. And so you can go right now um, to get uh, communion elements for yourself or for your family. Um, but please do that before we start the service because we're going to do communion in between some of the songs here in a little bit. Second thing is thank you for coming out to help for the work day. Lots of good stuff was accomplished, work that we needed to get done, done, paint on the walls, um, algae off the concrete, um, stuff like that. So thank you for coming to help. And we have one week left, uh, I think it's one week to the day left of the couple checkup being available to um, CBC. So if you have not yet taken advantage of that, please go and check your email for the uh, family connection email. The link and instructions are in that email so that you can take advantage of the couple checkup. And if you have not gotten one or don't know what that is, it is an assessment for you and your spouse or your significant other um, in order to uh, provide you with an opportunity and a, and a discussion guide um, to help facilitate a healthier relationship. Um, and, uh, and it's totally free for CBC all the way until next Sunday. So next Sunday, my announcement's gonna be, it's over, it's too late. Um, you could probably take it during the sermon next week, but you've only got one week left to do that. And if you have any trouble, please come and grab me. I would be happy to help you. Um, but that's all I've got. Um, let's stand together and we're gonna begin.
probably six or eight years ago, I was in Africa, and um, we had had a, a trip to go over there to help plant a church, and we're fortunate enough to get to go on a safari afterward. Um, so I've been on a real African safari, and um, <clears throat> it wasn't the kind that you see on TV where uh, there are like loads of animals everywhere. We had to go hunt them down in some cases. And uh, there was, I think that it was a type of wildebeest that we spent quite a long time looking for because um, our guide was looking for one or two of them by themselves. And uh, when one of us finally asked why, why do we have to, because you could find big groups of them. And uh, why do we need to find one or two of them by themselves? And his answer was, because we're looking for lions. And when there are one or two of them by themselves, there are always lions close by. And the reason was because these things had really bad memories. That's what this, our God was telling us. These guys have, have bad memories. And there may be a lion that, that shows up around a big herd of these these things, but when they're just by themselves, they'll get scared or spooked and they'll run off. And then within a minute, they've forgotten that they were in danger and they're already vulnerable again. So when they're one or two by themselves, one of them's about to get taken all the time. Um, and that experience has haunted me <laughs> um, because when I look back on my life, I look back um, and oftentimes I'll make mistakes. Um, and I've already learned the lesson to avoid that mistake. I just forgot. Um, and I even jokingly say I, I do most of the things in my life twice because the first time I'm going to have to either learn or relearn, and then I'm going to do it again and not mess up. Um, but, but remembering something ends up being really valuable for us. And we can even see in the track record of Israel that God believes remembering is, is valuable for them. Um, in Deuteronomy 8, there's, there's a bit of a story where God is telling them um, that they need to remember what has gone on, otherwise it's going to cost them their life. Um, and he tells them, uh, you need to remember I'm the one, I'm the one that led you out of Egypt. I'm the one that did this for you. If, when you sit down to eat, after you've eaten, after you've had your drink, remember me, give thanks to me. Because if you forget where you came from and how you got there, you're going to begin thinking that you had the power to create wealth for yourself. It's important that we remember. Jesus gave us the same type of instructions when he met with the apostles, when he met with his disciples in the upper room. And he broke bread, and he shared wine with them, and he said, Remember me when you do these things, because my body is for you. My blood is given for you. Just remembering is helpful. And it's helpful to us today because if we're not careful, if we don't look back and remember, if we start to think, I oftentimes wonder if we don't think we're the ones that have the ability to pull off behaving well all by ourselves. Look at me. I've got my acts together. Right, right, Tebow? No, we don't. We don't. 
which has an impact on our community and our fellowship as a family. Because if I want you to think I've got my act together, I can't really let you know me very well because you're going to find me out. But when we remember back to what Jesus did for us, it was never my good works. It was never my effort that pulled this off in the first place. It was Jesus. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from 1 Corinthians where Paul um, is helping the church to celebrate communion together. But I want to give us just a moment um, to reflect on what this might mean for us. That in remembering and celebrating Christ's death, um, we bring ourselves back into a right way of thinking about what God has done for us. So spend a couple of minutes thinking and praying on that, and I'll lead us through communion. If you haven't already, um, if you might want to unwrap the bread from the top of your cup, be careful to not grab the whole thing. You can take the bread. Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. You can open the... Uh, the next portion. <clears throat> in verse 25, he says, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The section concludes with, for as often as you do these things, eat this bread, drink this cup, do these things in remembrance of me proclaiming my death, proclaiming Christ's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for the time that we have to pause and remember the work that you did for us, the life that you gave for us. 
we celebrate that that has brought us something that we could not do for ourselves. And Father, we ask that you would help bring to our minds attention um, the extent of the gift that you gave us through your son, that we wouldn't be so quick to forget and think that we have done anything to earn this, but God, you have freely given us life through your son. We love you. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys stand up with us. You can leave those cups um, on the floor, and we'll clean those up later.
thank you for the life that we have in you. We thank you for your son. We pray in his name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. If you're one of our kiddos, K through 5, you can be dismissed to Sunshine Kids Club. And if you're one of our guests and have a kiddo in that age range, you can go with them to get them checked in and then come back and join us. morning, everyone. We've been asking the question of what happens when the gospel takes root. And this morning, I have one answer, because it's the subject of what we're going to be talking about. And when the gospel takes root, investing in people becomes a priority. So we're going to be talking about investment today. Now, every now and then you'll see those financial commercials on TV. And um, you may be in a completely different sphere of life than me. But when I see those commercials, they might as well be in a different language because the thought of having money to invest is so foreign to me. Um, but for many of you, it's an actual like conversation you have with a guy that does that. And, and so you see those and they ask the question, where have you placed your investments? And it's actually an answer that you have. And you say, oh, I've here, here, and I don't even have the words to give examples for. I could say them like Roth, and I don't know what those are. So I, I would just look like I'm making stuff up. But when it comes to people, which is more of the business I'm in, I find a similar concept. As so many people tell me, I, that's a foreign language. I don't have anything to invest in people. I barely got enough to keep me going. I don't have anything left over to invest in anyone else. I don't know enough. I, I, and and I, I don't know what to say. And what if they do this? Or what if they do that? And, and I'd be using words I don't understand. But we all agree it's important. I mean, think about this. Who has invested in your life? Who has pointed Jesus out to you? Who has explained scripture to you? Who has given you the wisdom of God? Who's helped you with discernment? Who has invested in your life? Think about it. I'm sure certain names and faces pop up over the story of your lifetime. There are people that have come and gone that have taken the time to invest in you. So then I have to ask the next question. Who are you investing in right now? Make a mental list. In your mind, as you think about, as you go about your day, who are you investing in right now? We don't even have to get into the subject of discipleship yet or pointing them to Jesus, but just in general, who would you say thinks of you when I ask who's invested in you? Who's taken an interest in you? Who, who are you taking an interest in? Who are you uh, speaking into their lives? And, and for some of us, it's a very short list. For some of us, it's a bigger list. That's what I want to talk about this morning is investment, because for Paul, investing in people was critical. And he understood that when the gospel takes root, investing in people becomes a major priority. It was his life mission, in fact. And, and as we're going through this book of 1 Thessalonians, you see that more than any other concept is this idea that he cares so much for this church and the people in the church that he seeks to go back there and revisit and invest and, and pour out his life into theirs. And today in this section of 1 Thessalonians we're going to look at, that is going to come out even more. In fact, we're going to read, it's, a, it's a, one of the bigger chunks that we're going to look at at one time, and it feels 
feels like you're reading a personal note, that this shouldn't be included, that maybe uh, is a diary or, a, or a, something that, oh, maybe, you know, this seems kind of personal. This is, there's a lot of emotional language. Uh, and so it's not Paul laying out a plan on how to invest in someone. It's not a discipleship seminar. We're simply witnessing. It's like we're standing in the room where, while he pours his heart out. And, and so we begin to glean and make observations and we begin to say, okay, if I had the same desire to invest in someone as Paul does, what would it look like? Now, because this passage is longer and because it does include such you know, emotional language, I've asked Noel to come up and read our passage, passage today from the message, which if you're unfamiliar with the message, it's kind of a paraphrase. And then we'll go back and kind of go verse by verse as we often do. But I wanted to hear it all in one shot. And so if you could come up and read to us out of the message for this passage. And this is 1 Thessalonians 2.17 through 3.13. Do you have any idea how very homesick we became for you, dear friends? Even though it hadn't been that long, and it was only our bodies that were separated from you, not our hearts, we tried our very best to get back to see you. You can't imagine how much we missed you. I, Paul, tried over and over to get back, but Satan stymied us each time. Who do you think we're going to be proud of when our master Jesus appears if it's not you? You're our pride and joy. So when we couldn't stand being separated from you any longer and could find no way to visit you ourselves, we stayed in Athens and sent Timothy to get you up and about, cheering you on so you wouldn't be discouraged by these hard times. He's a brother and companion in the faith, God's man in spreading the message, <coughs> preaching Christ. Not that the troubles should come as any surprise to you. You've always known that we're in for this kind of thing. It's part of our calling. When we were with you, we made it quite clear that there was trouble ahead. And now that it's happened, you know what it's like. That's why I couldn't quit worrying. I had to know for myself how you were doing in the faith. I didn't want the tempter getting to you and tearing down everything we had built up together. But now that Timothy is back, bringing this terrific report on your faith and love, we feel a lot better. It's especially gratifying to know that you continue to think well of us and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. In the middle of our trouble and hard times here, just knowing how you're doing helps keep us going. Knowing that your faith is alive keeps us alive. What would be an adequate thanksgiving to offer God for all the joy we experience before him because of you? We do what we can, praying away night and day, asking for the bonus of seeing your faces again, and doing what we can to help when our faith falters. May God our Father himself and our Master Jesus clear the road to you, and may the Master pour on the love so it fills your lives and splashes over on everyone around you, just as it does from us to you. May you be infused with strength and purity, filled with confidence in the presence of God our Father when our Master Jesus arrives with all his followers. Thank you, Noel. And as you hear from that, you hear such emotion, you hear care, you hear, this isn't a project for Paul, this isn't a job. This is truly his heart calling out. And so let's go back and, and I just wanna, just a few things, just kinda, I, kinda, I say this kinda like the Bob Ross style. We're just gonna start painting and see what comes out, have see if some happy little trees show up. And, uh, and we're gonna see some thoughts and some, some observations about 
uh, Paul's heart for investing. And we're going to start in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 17. And look at these first, read these first few verses with me. Uh, and he says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So hopefully you remember when, when uh, Dave began uh, this, the introduction to this book and an understanding of kind of the context behind what he's talking about, you remember that Paul went with, uh, with Barnabas or, or with uh, Sylvanus and Timothy, and he's, he's writing this letter back because they had gone and started this church on a missionary trip. And then they had had to move along quickly. Um, and he, he wanted to be able to get back and revisit, but as he says here, he was hindered and he couldn't. Um, and he, he calls out what hindered him. He says, Satan hindered us. If you remember last week, we looked at verse 16 and he talked about another hindrance. And he said, the unbelieving Jews were a hindrance. They were keeping the gospel message from going out. So in, in short order, he has pointed out two hindrances to what he desires to do. He desires to invest in these people and Satan, the enemy, the world, the way it works, all the enemies of the gospel keep hindering what's happening. Now, some have, have asked, what exactly is the hindrance here? And this, I think, is related to the fact that he even has to bring this up. I think it's, it's a, it was a hurtful thing for him for people to accuse him of not caring. If you remember what has come up over and over again is, the, is those that have attacked the church in Thessalonica have tried to undermine Paul's ministry and come in and say, you see, he, he showed up, he said a few things, you know, you gave him some money and he went away. That's what he does. And he's having to, to defend his ministry to say, no, I really have been trying to get back to you, but I keep being hindered. Uh, a lot of people believe this may have been an illness that he's speaking of, that, that he was just laid up, he couldn't travel. And, and that begins to, for me to start thinking about, okay, all the times that like, I have ministry plans and they don't work out, what's going on? Now we know that God redirects at times, right? He did it with Paul. He wanted to go one direction Paul, and God stepped in and said, no, go this way. But that's always the case when it's God working in our lives and ministry, there's a redirection that occurs. We may not like it and he has to drag us, but it's redirection. Ministry continues. When it comes to Satan hindering our, the enemy, when it, when it comes to a world system that's bent on keeping the gospel away from those that need to hear it, it's a hindrance. So how does that usually happen? I think illness is one of those. I think uh, so often you hear about someone that's, or you're just getting ready to, to share, invest in someone's life and illness creeps up. Financial stress happens, job loss. Seems like so often I can tell you story after story of someone that I finally was getting an opportunity to invest in their lives and they had to move. It's a very real thing. And I think it's something that to, to just start off with, we need to put it out there that investing in people will not come easy. We need to understand that from the get-go. And Paul certainly understood it. He, he brings it up a lot. All the things that seem to get in the way, anytime he has opportunity to invest, Satan or the, you know, Satan uses the, the people, the, the local idol makers, the local synagogue, whatever it might be, people that are against, you know, don't believe in Jesus, don't think he was the Messiah, will come in and chase him out of town. It's a hindrance, it won't be easy. 
So when you begin to think, okay, who should I begin to invest in? You need to go with a true desire to see God work and an understanding that as soon as I start this work, I'm going to start to run into difficulty because Satan doesn't want to see this work happen. Satan understands the value of investing in people. He's not going to get in the way of your business plans. He's not going to get in the way oftentimes of your vacation plans. It may seem like it, (laughs) but when he truly steps in and seeks to hinder, it's when we begin to interact with other people. When we begin to invest in other people, when we begin to share the gospel, disciple, point people to Jesus, encourage offer wisdom, guidance, then he gets interested. And then we need to remember, hey, if I'm stepping into this work, I need to go, as we've talked about previously, with the armor of God on because I'm stepping into warfare. But Paul is telling him, you know, I've been wanting to get there. I've been wanting to get there. In verse 19, he goes on, he says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Notice he mentions, mentions joy there twice in short order. I have, Paul sees the person, that, the people that he is investing in as his joy. That tells me something. Now, when we were in a, on staff with Campus Crusade, they used to have a, a, a conference every two years and they would, you know, bring all the all missionaries in uh, to Fort Collins, Colorado. And I remember one year they had a video where they went around and interviewed people. Hey, how's it been? How are you doing? How's it going? And they had this theme and it would be, it's hard, but it's good. That was the theme. Ministry is hard, but it's good. So investing in people is not going to come easy, but it can be a source of joy. Investing in people can restore your joy. When Paul is seeking to get back and he's being hindered, he just is imagining I just love going and pouring into these people because they restore my, my joy. And I, and I think if you are walking in your, your, you know, as you follow after Jesus and it's difficult and you feel like you're being run down, you may start to look around and go, am I just doing this thing for myself? Have I taken time to invest in anyone else? Because the miraculous happens as we pour into others, we, beget, we get restored. And now it doesn't mean you won't be physically tired. Jesus was physically tired after serving people all day. But where was his joy? His joy was in serving God, right? His joy was in seeing the light come on. His joy was in seeing people restored. He invested heavily in people, even though it was hard. So investing in people can restore your joy. Now, we're going to get a little backstory now, starting in chapter 3, verse 1. And Paul's going to give a little backstory in the sense of, what was going on in his mind? He just got done saying, I was really trying to get back to you. I, I, I was being hindered. And, and he's going to send Timothy and he's got to give a little bit of reasoning why he does that and what was going through in his heart and his mind and his body and his soul. Because he was so desirous to invest in these people that it had a physical toll on his life. He says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's coworker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one, that no one be moved by these afflictions. So if we follow the thinking that he was ill, 
which is why he couldn't go anywhere. Imagine being in a foreign country by yourself, surrounded by enemies, and you have a few helpers. You're ill. You can't get around. But you so desire to find out what's going on with the people you care about that you send your only help away. So that shows a lot about his heart and about how much he cared for these people. But it also speaks to something. Now, we are so used to our instant connection, right? And it hasn't been that long. Think about how long ago in your life that you would have no idea what's going on with someone outside of your physical contact with them. Uh, people from your school you grew up, maybe hometown, and you've moved away. Who knows if they're even alive or dead? I have friends that, you know, never made it onto social media that I grew up with. I've tried track. I have no idea. But then I think that's the way it used to be for everybody and everything, right? If you didn't see them in your little road, if you weren't a neighbor, if you don't work with them, you'd have contact every now and then, but it could be months, years in between knowledge of whether anyone's doing well or not. A, a few uh, months ago, the Youngs, and I didn't, didn't say I was going to bring this up, but it's such a, it's such an obvious thing. They, they shared about that brief time they felt this when their daughter and the, and, and the Vanderkay's daughter were in Spain and they were trying to get back and they kind of went into radio silence on their way to the airport. Like it's like the Apollo mission on the other side of the moon and you're just waiting and going, well, I don't know if they made it. The feeling that they would have had as you think about we have such instantaneous contact that when it goes away for 30 minutes, we're going nuts. Well, this is months and months and months that Paul is thinking, I, I, I saw these people, these baby Christians, and I left them babies out in the world, and the, the enemy's going to attack them, and the, wor the world is out to get them, and then I had to leave, and I can't get back and check on them. What is going on? And his, 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 you can just imagine it's just eating at him just waiting to find out. Well, back then, the only way you could find out was you had to wait for them to send someone or send word and a note or send someone yourself and come back. And so that's what they did. Even though Timothy was such a help for him, says he, he finally could, he just could bear it no longer. And he said, I send Timothy. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. There's something really, a really big concept of investment in people that comes out here and it's this, investing in people will get messy. And we say that all the time, that when you work with people, it gets messy. Well, what do we mean by that? Because we don't usually sit and go, okay, here's what we mean by messy. And I kind of think of, you know, cooking with small children in the kitchen will get messy. And that's the most obvious statement I've ever said. But we do it because we know, you know, we want this experience and we even take pictures and post it and we think it's fun. And then when it's done, we go, what in the world just happened in my kitchen? Looks like a bomb blew off in the flower bin and the kids are a mess and all this stuff is happening. Well, cooking with children will get messy. Investing in people will get messy. Look at the words that Paul uses to describe what is going on in his life as he waits to hear his fear. You see a lot of anxiety. 
And if you had an image of the Apostle Paul as this guy carved out of marble that seems to just be perfect in every way and can just withstand all the attacks, this should go against that to understand he was human just like you, experienced fear, anxiety, worry. Look at that last word. What is it? Vain. Had everything I done been in vain? Have you ever thought that? When you work with people, you have that question. When you invest in people, you stop and go, did I just waste my time? Because guess what? When we invest in people, they may not respond the way you hope they will respond. You may never see the results of your investment. I don't know much about financial investment, but if someone comes to me and says, hey, you invest a hundred bucks, you're going to get 5,000 in three days. That's a pretty good investment. We like quick returns. I don't want to put my money somewhere I'm not going to be able to touch forever. I want it right away. Well, investing in people is messy because you don't get a quick return. Because you may never see the return this side of heaven, right? You, you may invest in someone and then part ways and never know what your investment has done in their life. I've had numerous times of meeting with people after a long, you know, I have a reunions of sorts and they say, you know what? You said this in my life and yeah, I went off and I was gone and I was going crazy, but that thing that you said was an anchor and eventually it brought me back. And all I think is I thought I was just wasting my time. I just seemed like I was doing it in vain. Let me ask you a question. As you think about Paul sending Timothy out, do you think Timothy asked this question, do I even have anything to invest? Paul, you're sending me? Timothy was a young believer at this time. Now, 10 years later, Paul would write First and Second Timothy to Timothy when he sent him to the Ephesus area to lead several churches as a young man and young in, in terms of probably under 30, which in that culture, if you were under 30, you were you still sat at the kids table. And so he was suddenly asked to lead people much older than him, all these new believers. Well, that's 10 years from now. And if you read first and second Timothy, you read statements like, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Timothy, we, do, we haven't been given a spirit of fear and timidity, right? Why does he have to say that? Well, many have made the, uh, the not so far jump to say, I think Timothy maybe struggled with a little confidence. Maybe Timothy was quick to say, I don't know what I have to give. I just barely have enough to keep going. I don't have any enough. I don't have any left over to invest in someone else. So Paul and Timothy both, I think in this communication, tell me that I am no different than them in the fact that I live with the same fears and the same anxieties and the same worries as I invest in other people. Whether it's investing in your own children or a friend or a, a neighbor or someone that you just casually meet every now and then, all you can say is an encouraging word and hope, you know, you know what's going on in their life and you just hope they hold it together. Investing in people could be messy. You don't know what the outcome is going to be. There's a lot of trust. There's a lot of handing it over to God and saying, I am gonna, I'm gonna pour into this person and God, it's up to you to make this thing grow. It's up to you to bring healing and wholeness to their life. Some of us are rescuers, right? We, we see the, the bird that fell out of the nest. That's a great example. Bird that falls out of the nest when you were little, were you the one that took it and brought it home and said, we gotta, we gotta take care of this. We gotta take care of this. Or did you look at it and say, well, I guess the mom didn't want it. It's going to die. It's just the way nature works, right? 
And we don't like to admit that. We don't want the people that do that. We're, we don't, we don't, yeah, that's me. But people aren't, you know, shoved out of nests and we're not sent to rescue them. We're sent to share what has been deposited in us. And in both letters to Timothy, Paul tells Timothy to guard the deposit that has been entrusted into him. And we're gonna talk about what that deposit is in a second. Because if you feel that you don't have anything to invest, I'm, I'm going to challenge that thought when we're done. But let's keep reading for now. So it gets messy. But in verse six, but now that Timothy has come to us from you. So Timothy's come back. So that was the backstory. Now we're back to present time. And has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as long as we see you. So he left this infant church and all this worry that they were going to be taken over. Timothy comes back and says, guess what? They are not only still doing well, they're growing and God is using them. And he uses a term here that, that usually only gets used for one thing, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ when he says good news. This is the same word we get for evangelism. When he says, Timothy brought good news. That should stand out to you because normally when you read good news in scripture, it's talking about the gospel message. I bring you good news. Jesus has come. Now we're reading about good news. The gospel has taken root. And that tells me a very important understanding that when I invest in people, I am fleshing out the gospel. I'm fleshing out the gospel. When I share the gospel and someone trusts Christ and I continue to invest in them and they grow and then I go away maybe and I find out later or whatever reason circumstances happen and we get separated or they, they move along in life and then I hear that they are growing, that is good news. It is the gospel. Because the power of the gospel is the power to change a life. And when I find out that God has used me to, to invest in someone and, he, he, and the Holy Spirit grows that person up and the power of God changes that life and I get to witness that, that's the gospel fleshed out. That's a changed life because of the gospel and it's good news. So when we share the good news, it's equally good news when we hear someone has grown in their faith and they're solid and they've been established. That's the gospel. The gospel was not for someone, you know, meant for someone to just walk an aisle, say a prayer and move on with their life. It was to change the trajectory of your life. And when you get to see that happen, that's good news. So he says, for this reason, brothers, in verse seven, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live... If you are standing fast in the Lord, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. He went from distress to new life. Look at verse seven. He says, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted. For now we live. It's literally saying you've given us new life. As Paul was worried, and, and I don't know how much of that was, was, if he truly was ill, what does anxiety do in illness? Does it help you get better? Distress and worry and fear? No, it can often cause illness. And so he's worried and he's worried, and you know how that is. You start thinking. You can't sleep. And it gets worse. And it's just this downward cycle. And, 
And then Timothy shows up and the gospel is announced to say, there's been changed lives have happened. Your investment was not in vain. There's been return. And it says, I have new life. And we learn, although everything we've seen so far has been about what it's like to invest. Now we understand what, what happens when me, the one that's being invested in remains faithful. I encourage the person that invests in us. So our faithfulness encourages those that invest in us. It's the other side of it, that as I invest and people invest in me, faithfulness is an encouragement, a comfort. It's the gospel fleshed out. It's, it's seeing what happens when the body of Christ truly works together and there's unity of the spirit. And so Paul wraps it up with this, what people have called kind of a small benediction, a prayer, and he's gonna pray for three things. And as I wrap up, I want to I wanna ask the question, okay, how can this be our prayer? Because as we ask the question, you know, about investments and who am I investing in, let, let's pray these three things and ask the same questions. Go back to verse 11, and he's going to pray this over them, and he's saying, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. His first thing he's praying for is for them to get back together, a reunion, a face-to-face -face opportunity. If your list of those that you invest in is non-existent or very short, and you feel like you're supposed to be, or you want to, or you feel led to invest in others, have this prayer. Pray for a face-to-face -face opportunity with someone. Pray for that interaction. Pray that God would bring someone into your life. That's what Paul was praying for. He was being hindered with this, his, his heart desire to go back and see them. He's praying that God would open that door. And I think in the same way, we can start there. Say, okay, I get it. In, in, all these things about investing in people, it's important. I understand. I believe that. I know it's going to get messy and it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy, but who am I supposed to invest in? I don't know where to even start. We'll start there. Pray. Ask God for a face-to-face -face opportunity with someone that you can get to know. He wants to, he prays that he can, he can have a reunion, but he also says, and may the Lord make your increase make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. He's praying for their relationships in their church, for unity. The very same thing in many ways that, that Jesus prays in his high priestly prayer in John 17, when he says, I pray that they be one just as Father and I are one. Paul is saying, I am praying as I wait to see you as the investment matures, that you would love one another. It shows the relational importance of investment. That this is not a project. You know, it, it, when you're looking for the person to invest in, you're not looking for the project. You're not looking for the bird that's been kicked out of the nest so you can fix them. You're looking for someone that God loves and that you can love and you can grow in love for one another and you can see the gospel work in your life and in their life. And finally, it says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Remember what he said Timothy was going to do when he sent Timothy? He said, we're sending Timothy to establish and exhort. He's sending Timothy to find out if the gospel message had taken root and to water and to feed that, that plant and that root. Paul is saying the same thing. And here we come to our original question. Do I have anything to invest? Because, okay, the first two prayer requests I get, they're kind of all about who. Now there's the what. 
okay, I finally, God gives me someone and I'm sitting down with them or I'm, I'm hanging out with them and it's an ever so brief conversation and I don't know what to say. And again, I don't have anything to invest. Well, if you remember, Paul told Timothy to, to guard the deposit that had been entrusted with him. And that was two things. That was the gospel message, the entrustment of the Holy Spirit in his life that had taken up residence in his life, but it was also what Eunice had taught him, his mother. He'd had a spiritual lineage. He was underselling what he knew. And so hear me on this. I think most of us underestimate what we know about God and about scripture. And the fear of rejection or the fear of not having an answer to every single possible question about dinosaurs and the Big Bang and everything else makes us say, I don't have anything to offer. But I think you've had an entrustment. If you've been in church for any amount of time, if you've read scripture at all, God has something to work with. But that's not even what I want to talk about, that entrustment. I want to talk about a different entrustment because hypothetically, let's say you really don't know a single thing about scripture <laughs> and you've never spent a day in your life under any kind of teaching, but you're a follower of Christ. Well, I'm not coming up with all this financial terminology out of thin air. I didn't invent it. God did. In Ephesians 1, I want to put it up on the screen for you when it talks about the Holy Spirit. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. God couches this whole thing in this investment terminology. You've been given a deposit. Maybe yours says a down payment. Now, it's, uh, this is in the context of your own personal understanding and assurance of God's faithfulness to his promises that have just been discussed earlier in this chapter. But this tells me that if you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has been deposited in you. The Holy Spirit has been taken up residence. So when Paul says guard the deposit in you, and he says it from a point of view of answering the question, do you have anything to invest? I am led to believe that even if you might say, I don't really understand scripture very well, or I'm not sure what to say, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have something to invest. You have been given a deposit. And so I'm going to kick it back to you and ask the question, what do you have because you have the Holy Spirit? What has the Holy Spirit deposited in you that you can invest in others? And this is not a rhetorical question. I want you to say it out loud. Say it out louder. Mercy. Mercy. Redemption. Peace. Joy. Hope. Love. Compassion. Strength. What else? What has the Holy Spirit given you? Patience, discernment. He says, I will give you words when you need them. That's a pretty big promise to a bunch of fishermen that never went to rabbi school. What else? What has the Holy Spirit deposited in you? A testimony? Perseverance. perseverance. Someone said something on top of perseverance. Unless you both said perseverance at the same exact time. 
<laughs> Faith. Forgiveness. That's a pretty big list of things that you have that you can invest in others. We've got discernment of the spirit. You build a relationship with someone and they come to a point in their life where they don't know what to do. You have discernment. You can discern the spirits because you have the spirit. So many things, such a wide, huge, overflowing bank account. But again, I say all that theoretically because I know everyone here has a lot more than they think in their understanding of God and scripture. We have a lot. So, okay, so we do have something to deposit. We do have something to invest. So I want to leave with the same question. Where are you placing your investments? And I'm going to answer with some options. Okay. So here within these walls, we have children's and student ministry, right? We have ABF small group communities, men's and women's Bible studies, gatherings, places where you can interact with other people and invest in other people. We provide these places, these laboratories for you. All you got to do is go into the room and there's people to invest in. It will get messy, especially in the children's department. It will get messy, right? And you'll wonder, is this even helping? Do they even hear what I'm saying? And you don't need to be the teacher. Just be the person that's there. So those are people to invest in. But I, I know that we partner with so many ministries and, and so many of you have taken up opportunity to get involved with Pregnancy Assistance Center North, just to go there and invest in people. Under Over has t so many people coming through. They would love another person to just go and invest in, in people. And if you want help with that, if you want direction, come grab me, come grab Chris, Dave. Uh, we, can, we can brainstorm with you and, and begin to talk about that. Where are you placing your investments? I think it's an important question because you have been given so much to invest and it'll get, it, it won't come easy. So we have to be intentional. We have to seek out those opportunities. We have to pray, but I'm excited because I know that each and every one of you, if you are a follower of Christ has the deposit of the Holy Spirit and I've seen what God can do through a person that has the Holy Spirit and has a willing desire to invest in other people. Let me pray. God, you are a God who loves, who does not take us as we take us. We, we see people who have nothing to offer and you see someone that's an empty vessel waiting to be filled up. You entrusted us with the gift of your Holy Spirit, with the gospel, with your word, with the church, with community, other believers. You've entrusted us with a mission, a calling, spiritual gifts, so many things that, that we have. And now as I, as I finish reading about Paul's heart, really I think all that's left is that desire, that, that willingness to say, yeah, I so eagerly want to see you face to face, as Paul said. So I pray that you'd put that spark in us to desire, the, uh, open our eyes to those opportunities. But it's all because the gospel has come and it's, it's been real in our lives that any of this is possible. And so I pray if there are any, anyone here that does not have, has not started following you, has not had that deposit happen, that even now as we sing these songs, they would pray to you something 
so simple to just, just say, God, I want to follow you. Please forgive me of my sins. Please come into my life. Help me to trust in you. Thank you for the fact that you promise to do that very thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as
Let's be. 